Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Wow, well, welcome back, Mark. Great to be with you again. What a week. What a crazy week. You know, I was just talking to a physician friend of mine, oh, maybe a half hour ago, uh, you might even know him. His name is Dr. Ken Williams, and uh, he has a patient uh, that actually that actually died today in the hospital ICU. And he went over this morning to visit, and he was turned away. So his primary care doctor was not allowed to visit uh, because he didn't have proof of a vaccine with him. He, he's somebody who was actually vaccinated, but he didn't have his vaccine card with him. And he didn't have any negative tests, so they refused to let him in. And I just got word earlier that his patient passed. We're seeing these rules come down from healthcare institutions, retail institutions, that really make no sense from a scientific standpoint. And man, people are frustrated and angry, and they just don't, they don't know what to do with themselves. Um, comply, follow the rules, protest. People's livelihoods are at stake. Uh, they're not allowed to visit loved ones in the hospital without going through draconian rules. It's it's really getting crazy out there. I think these spreading government vaccination mandates are threatening to usher in a totalitarian state. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I got a, um, a memo uh, earlier today from my local hospital and uh, per California Department of Health mandate, so here are the rules that you have to follow if you uh, go in to see a patient. Um, you have to have proof of vaccination or proof that you've taken a COVID test in the last 72 hours that's negative, irrespective of your symptoms. But wait, there's an exception. Patients in labor, the primary support person of a patient in labor, that's what, we're, that's what, that's what the husband or the father is now called the primary support person of a patient in labor. What they should say is the primary support person of the birthing person will be allowed to enter the facility if they do not have proof of COVID-19 vaccine or a negative COVID test. So there's the exception. But if you leave and then come back, you've got to comply. And they also make an exception in this case. It didn't apply to Dr. Williams. Support persons for end-of-life patients will be allowed to enter the facility if they do not have proof of COVID vaccine or negative COVID test. So, listen, if, if this is as serious as some like us to believe, and it's crisis, and it's DEFCOM 10, then why make these kind of exceptions if it's, if it's so risky, but yet they make, kind of, they make exceptions? It doesn't make sense. There's no consistency. And the rules make zero sense from a scientific standpoint. We, we know, I was, just, I was just reading earlier, about 60% breakthrough cases in vaccinated patients. So whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, um, whether you had a COVID test or not COVID test. I have a patient, I was driving home tonight and I talked to a patient, his name is Kyle, and he's sick as a dog and his whole family has COVID, um, but he tested negative. And so here's clearly a false negative because it's obvious this guy has COVID, lost of sense of taste, loss of sense of smell, but he's hesitant to take medications because he's looking for that test to give him confirmation um, about what's going on. We, we've entered a world of dystopia. No longer is judgment allowed by physicians. Uh, no longer is common sense allowed by patients. I mean, really what we should do, maybe we should turn over our patients to the CDC directly and just let them treat them because clearly they're interfering with our ability to treat them. What you're describing, Jeff, is not isolated to one hospital system. I'm looking at an announcement that was published yesterday from UCLA Health, uh, which is one of the top three healthcare systems in Los Angeles. And it announced the exact same thing that you did starting on 11th of August at 11 a.m., UCLA Health will be conducting vaccine verification for visitors who are visiting patients in our hospitals. And they make the same exceptions that you mentioned. So there is a agreement 
apparently among multiple hospital systems throughout the state of California that it is no longer safe or even possible for anyone to enter the hospital with rare, rare, rare exceptions. And this is very similar to the hypocrisy and the inconsistency that occurred last year at the start of this pandemic with nursing homes, where patients who were dying were blocked from visitation because it was too unsafe for their family members to see them. And yet they were treated day in and day out by staff who rotated through multiple rooms, multiple facilities, came and went, and that was not a problem. So there is no medically sound explanation for this. And it does seem to be uh, a failure of lessons learned from the beginning of the pandemic. And I, I really fear this is going to spread throughout multiple states and throughout the country. No, you're right. And you and I talked about this early in the pandemic. You, you know, re remember when we sent a letter, uh, America's frontline doctors sent a letter to the White House uh, describing the pandemic, the early stages as a mass casualty event, because the entire medical establishment was shut down along with businesses, retail establishments, and so forth. We're kind of seeing that again in a de facto way. You can't visit the hospital. We're scaring everybody. Nobody even wants to go to the hospital. They don't want to come to the doctor anymore. They're being frightened out of routine medical care once again. And uh, I remember hearing out of Florida some, a group of CEOs that were talking about the inaccuracy of what they're describing in the media as to what's going on in the Florida hospitals. And they were saying a lot of the patients in the hospital are missed medical care, patients that should have been seen earlier but refused to go to the hospital because they were scared and now showed up with a medical emergency rather than elective care. Somebody that needed their gallbladder out that now rolls in because their gallbladder is inflamed and they need emergency surgery. Somebody that was supposed to have an elective hernia repair, but now it's pressing because it's painful or strangulating, and now they got to run into the hospital and get emergency surgery. Heart patients, uh, diabetes, out of control, and so forth. It's on and on and on, and it's the media that's doing this. And Listen, none of us are saying that COVID isn't real and isn't serious and needs to be taken uh, with the right um, uh, level of concern. Um, but what we're doing is we are injuring people with our fear and we are not allowing people to get the help that they need by accessing proper care with primary care physicians. Um, and it's it's creating, listen, it's going to create more work for you. You'll, you'll have You'll, ha you'll have job um, uh, you know, uh, security for years to come because everybody's going to be out of their mind psychotic after spending this time listening to the government mandates. Well, I'm worried we're not learning any lessons. And one of the things that I tell patients is that you have to learn from experience. It's really only by learning that we can overcome our short-term problems. And we've been at this for 18 months, and we have apparently learned absolutely nothing. Now, that isn't actually true, but what we have learned is not being implemented. And I can't even trust what I'm hearing in the news. So much of the information is false. Uh, I just read a report here about the CDC apparently intentionally misattributing a substantial rise in cases in Florida following a weekend where they aggregated all of the numbers from the previous three days and dumped them as if there was a 100% increase in infection throughout the state. It was corrected, of course, by the California Public Health Department, and the CDC eventually acknowledged their so-called mistake and lowered it by 50%. But when this kind of news goes national, it scares people, it frightens them, and it causes them to not want to go to the hospitals. It causes them to think that their children are dying, that their grandparents are at risk, essentially going right back to where we started in March and April of 2020. This is not helpful. It's not allowing us to learn. It's not allowing us to get past this. And it's miring us in this sort of endless groundhog day of repeated waking up, thinking that we haven't moved forward, we haven't learned anything. <laughs> it's, ex it's exactly groundhog day. You know, a lot of us have learned, actually. Um, I mean, you and I both know a lot of doctors that are dialed in on what are the latest protocols that are always being updated. And, you know, we change and we tweak uh, just, I think it was yesterday, uh, the Frontline uh, COVID Coalition updated their guidelines to prophylactic ivermectin from once a week to twice a week. 
Um, so they're, you know, they're on, they're on top of it, looking what's working, adjusting, uh, and then getting that information out. Unfortunately, it doesn't get out to too many people. Um, so listen, I continue to treat a lot of these COVID patients on a daily basis now. I treat it much more aggressively than I used to because I'm much comfortable with these protocols, ivermectin, budesonide, hydroxychloroquine, um, adding on fluoxamine, et cetera. So we're, we're you know, we're getting that which you practice and do over and over again. You, you start to get good at it. Um, and so, you know, part of the problem is patients just don't know where to go for trusted sources of information. They listen on the news and they hear one uh, piece of data. Hydroxychloroquine will kill you. Ivermectin doesn't work. Um, and then they see other outlets like they'll be listening to us. And they'll hear our perspective and they don't really know who to trust. So I'd like to suggest there's a couple reasonable sources out there that you should trust. First of all, America's Frontline Doctors always has the latest protocols and information. And not just from a medical standpoint, but there's also legal information if your rights are being violated, if you're being coerced and forced uh, to get vaccinated or comply for risk of, or otherwise you'll you'll have, be at risk of losing your job. Uh, so that's one source. Um, another source, certainly they can go to my website, Rx for Liberty. I try to post things there. Um, there are a lot of good podcasts out there, including ours, where you can get uh, accurate information. Um, where, do you, where do you listen to and what do you read to get the latest, both from a statistical standpoint and treatment options? One rule that I use frequently, and I actually explained this to a patient today who asked me, where am I supposed to go and how do you know who's credible? And I answered it this way. I said, I look for who was right in the past mm. repeatedly, and that's how they build credibility. And then I look for those who were wrong in the past repeatedly, <laughs> and I deny them credibility. <laughs> right. And there are many, many, many sources that have been wrong, intentionally or otherwise, repeatedly in the past and Who's i would wrong? put Come on. well i would put i would put call most, them out call them out i would put most of the mainstream gurus uh the the sanjay guptas and the uh day talk show host guests on msnbc abc cbs uh the uh, new york times and washington post columnists uh, they've got it wrong from the very beginning and i believe it's because they have an agenda and it's political and they are so inflamed and frothing at the mouth against those who disagree with them politically that they're willing to throw medicine and science under the bus. On the other hand, there are people who came out of seemingly nowhere and who broke the mold, proposed what seemed at the time to be a very uh, odd and uh, you might even call them somewhat um, unproven uh, treatment regimens, and they wound up being right. Dr. Peter McCullough is one example of that, and he came out very early and has been updating his treatment protocols uh, monthly, sometimes even weekly, and now has updated it with this new uh, India or Delta variant. And he posts uh, and interviews actually quite regularly on what works and what doesn't. And he actually provides results and he holds himself accountable and he hasn't lied. Dr. Pierre Corey is another who has a website uh, that uh, describes uh, all of the treatment algorithms researched from around the world and his own personal experience as a clinician with the, with the drug ivermectin and how it's worked and where it's failed. Uh, so those two physicians are very reliable sources. They have websites and they have interviews all over the internet, uh, which haven't been entirely taken down. So those are some of the things that I think about and the people that I go to when I want to recommend um, credible sources of information for treating this infection. So in this case, past performance does reflect uh, future returns, if you will, on COVID-19, because uh, the same people that were wrong before are doubling down on their recommendations. And, Absolutely. And unfortunately, we just, you know, the, ma the mainstream public, the, the general public, I think, has lost a lot of credibility in some of our healthcare agencies. And it's, you know, it doesn't give me any joy to say that I think the CDC has become somewhat of a political body as much as it is a healthcare organization. Um, and even Dr. Fauci himself is such a poor representative 
of the healthcare establishment in Washington, D.C. It's time for him to retire and go away and let somebody else take over. He has changed his mind so many times. Remember when the pandemic first started, he told us correctly, he was correct, that masks offer little protection against viral illness. He said this on 60-minute interview, then later said, just kidding. I was only saying that because I didn't want the public to run out and get a bunch of masks um, and take them away from uh, healthcare providers. Uh, but unfortunately, he was correct when he said it the first time. He was echoing the uh, same statements that were put out by uh, uh, National Institute of Health, the World Health Organization, New England Journal of Medicine published a long article talking about how ineffective masks are. Um, and yet it became political so quickly during the Trump administration that they just started saying things that weren't correct, in part because um, they wanted to, I think, make Donald Trump look bad. Uh, they didn't want to support anything he was doing. And if Trump said um, hydroxychloroquine was good, they were going to immediately say that it wasn't. And if Trump said masks don't really play a role, then they were going to backtrack and say immediately that everybody should be masked. Um, so I don't, I don't know what's, what's in the head of these people that keeps spewing out misinformation. Um, it just, it's just unbelievable. So what has he said recently, Dr. Fauci, regarding masks? Children need to be wearing masks indoors he, and outdoors. And we also need third, fourth, fifth, sixth booster shots for a vaccine that's so successful that it's not working anymore. It doesn't make any sense. So there must be some other motive, some other play here that is divorced from public health. Yes. And, you know, listen, Donald Trump is long gone. So why, why keep the charade up? They no longer have to say whatever he believed the opposite of. So, it, you know, it's hard to get in the heads of these people as to what their motivation is, whether it's power, whether it's just purely financial gain. Uh, because so many of these healthcare institutions, like the CDC, like the FDA, are funded by industry. And it never used to be that way. But I read somewhere 40 or 50 percent of the funding that goes to the FDA and goes to the CDC comes directly from industry. So these organizations are chartered to uh, oversee uh, the pharmaceutical companies are supposed to have America's back to protect them, yet they're being funded by the organizations that they're supposed to oversee. Sounds like a conflict of interest to me. Uh, you know, listen, in, in medicine, we're criticized. We're criticized if a pharmaceutical company brings us lunch to teach us about their drug, that somehow we're going to be unduly influenced. And laws and rules were passed where, um, you know, they can only spend so much money per doctor. They can't even give us pens with their name on it anymore or a pad of paper. That's not allowed. But yet they can fund uh, 50% of the budget of the CDC and the NIH. And we're supposed to think that has no effect. They can't get give me a pen or buy me lunch because that's too much influence. But they can literally subsidize the salaries of these people that work for the CDC and the FDA. And that makes no sense. That's a conflict of interest. Oh, I'm very, very suspicious, Jeff, of the money trail that seems to be uh, widening by the day from specifically the vaccine manufacturers. There was a study that was just published yesterday uh, by the Mayo Clinic um, and a data analytics company in Massachusetts uh, that described the known drop-offs of the efficacy of these uh, viral vaccines. Uh, the percentages that we were told, remember that back when they, the research first came out after they were uh, 95% you know, efficacious? Heck, we, exactly. we were told, remember we were told 100% effective in children. These, Fauci told us this, these vaccines are 100% effective in children. And then the push came to start vaccinating children. And now what do we have? We have 94.1% effectiveness from the Moderna vaccine and 95% from Pfizer back in December of 2020. Study out of Qatar found Pfizer's effectiveness today it's just 53.5%. Researchers in Israel found that it was only 39% effective. Wow, against that's, like flu, that's like agents. flu shot uh, effective. Flu shot effective, 40%. That's the average. We're down to 39% in Israel for the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, 
Putting all these together, we're getting an estimate of only 50 to 60% efficacy against the currently circulating variant, which is 98% of all of the uh, viral cases uh, that have been sampled, which is the India or Delta variant. So against 98% of all of the currently circulating infections, we now have a vaccine that works at best, at best 60% of the time. And for that, Fauci says we need to get a third, fourth, fifth, sixth booster shot. We may have to actually just get them quarterly or maybe every month because they're just so good. <laughs> the 12th one is the charm. And every time these manufacturers get paid, I believe it's $20 per shot of our taxpayer money. It's like selling shoes to Chinese. By the time they wear out one pair, they need a next. Yeah, exactly. I just, uh, I just read an alert earlier today uh, that they're authorizing a booster shot for people that are immunocompromised. And, you, you know, and so I'm sure I'm sure the the, the pharmaceutical uh, CEOs right now are toasting each other that they got the first booster shot approved and coming soon to a neighborhood near you will be a booster recommendation for all vaccinated people. It's a, it's just unbelievable. And they're coming after our children next. Right now, you can only get it if you're above 12. Um, I predict that by the time August ends, we'll see the FDA approve these vaccinations. And then shortly thereafter, probably start in California first, because that's the way California rolls. They'll mandate vaccines for all children returning to school, and that will spread across the country. So interesting. I heard Fauci interviewed uh, the other day, and and, uh, the reporter asked him about you know, how can you mandate things that aren't FDA approved? And Fauci said, well, you know, the FDA is working on it. And Fauci was pushed. When is the FDA going to approve it? And then Fauci said, well, I, I have nothing to do with that. That's all in the hands of the FDA. Of course, Fauci's organization is one of the groups that fund the FDA. So when Fauci says, well, I sure hope the FDA is working on this and will soon um, uh, authorize this for uh, for approval, you can bet they're taking notice because he controls the purse strings of who's funding the FDA. It's so damn corrupt. It's unbelievable. You know, Trump talked about the deep state, uh, the political deep state. There's a healthcare deep state. I mean, we were talking about this the other day that, um, and, and I hadn't read it. So I'm like, are you kidding me that you're, you were reading from the Babylon Bee? And that's, that was, um, what the AMA came out with. Tell everybody what the AMA has done recently. This, this is, is almost too hard to believe. And I had to actually double and triple, ver- triple verify it because <laughs> I thought that I was looking at a joke. Maybe I had, been, um, I had been spoofed. It turns out that in the last week, the American Medical Association, the AMA, publicly announced that their formal position, formal position, They voted on this formal position on birth certificates for American babies is that they do not include the sex of the baby, that it's left blank so that the baby can choose later on when he or she decides what he or she wants to become. What what if you're not an American baby? Well, there might be quite a few of those, given that we have a completely open border and we've already had one million uh, illegal aliens uh, rush into Texas and the southern states, and many of them have been pregnant. So I guess we'll find out. Uh, do they have to comply with this new order or not? They don't comply with anything else. Um, so perhaps uh, they'll be granted an exception. Wow. It's unbelievable. I don't know what percentage of American doctors are members of the AMA. I'm sure it's dropping. I think last time I read these the statistics, it was, oh, 20 or 25 percent only. Uh, but they uh, they put themselves forward to the public as if they are the voice of the of the uh, of American physicians, and passing a rule like this or a recommendation like this turns them into a political joke that has nothing to do with medicine, that has nothing to do with health healthcare, that is woke politics uh, at its finest, and um, uh, it, it's just so sad. The, the American Medical Association used to be a very reputable, respected institution and they i mean now they they become political like the teachers union practically and no longer can you trust them or look to them for guidance um, or certainly get your healthcare information from that organization it's ridiculous well so is the american pediatric association uh, they are now uh, pushing to have all children perhaps those leaving the womb vaccinated and their goal right now 
uh, apparently from the mailer I received in my office, which had a stack of 40 pages of stickers related to drinking water, uh, is that the number one public health crisis among children right now is that they're not drinking enough water. Mm. So we have to hand out stickers to get them to drink more water. And meanwhile, all of their policies on really important issues are completely upside down. They support the chemical castration of boys and girls who think that they're the other sex or the other gender. They're supporting vaccinations for the only population under 18 that was excluded from the original trials by Pfizer and Moderna. This is, in, I think this is really endemic throughout all of the um, formerly reputable national medical associations and organizations. They are uh, actually um, unethical, uncaring. Uh, they're driven by uh, forces unrelated to patient care. And uh, I certainly uh, have not been a member of any of them for quite a number of years, and I don't intend to go back. Are there any medical organizations that you think are reputable? There, well, I was about to say there's a California Medical Association, but I've pulled my, my support from them <laughs> after they went woke as well in the last few years, the California Medical Association. There is an American Association of, of, of Physicians and Surgeons that uh, tends to take, I think, very uh, patient and um, uh, public health uh, pro positions, and they tend to be very rational and, uh, and supportive of patient care. That's the only one that I still believe is, uh, is not uh, completely sold. That's the AAPS, uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I, I am a member of that. Um, and they've got a pretty good website where they can direct you to um, uh, good, solid uh, information. And they're not a political organization. They haven't gone political. Um, speaking about organizations that have gone political, how about your own society? How about the American Psychiatric Society? I think they, they fell off the cliff a long time ago. Oh, they're completely dead to me. Uh, there's an American Psychoanalytic Association uh, that reads like a Babylon Bee article as well. Uh, <laughs> they, they are um, uh, advocating for analysts and therapists uh, to speak to patients uh, in a uh, what they call patient-centric mode, meaning if the patient comes to you and says that he's a rhinoceros, you have to support him. Uh, I'm, I'm joking only partially because they essentially don't want you to confront any of the psychoses or pathologies of the patients anymore. They want you to be an advocate uh, and a coach uh, rather than a treater. They want you to be a buddy and a buddy who doesn't uh, notice the faults of his friend. It's completely, uh, utterly unredeemable. Uh, I am no longer uh, participating in the activities. I'm no longer a member. Um, you might even say that the uh, American Psychoanalytic Association is full of crazy people. Yeah, they are, they, are cra they are crazy people. And the reality is, do we, do we really even need these organizations? I mean, what, what purpose do they actually serve? You know, they, they used to be organizations that represented whatever specialty. They advocated for that specialty, uh, laws that were being passed and so forth. Um, but they do little of that. Now they just get uh, caught up in woke politics it's like a it's like a race to wokeness you know who can get more uh crazy uh than the next group i don't i mean i don't even think we need them anymore i can't imagine any of these associations have very many members uh like they used to it's it's really sad what's gone on it's it's almost like you know the boy scouts that's been ruined um by the uh admission of uh, of girls into an organization called the boy scouts i mean some of these things just make so no, do not make any common sense, uh, but where, where, where are the people standing up? Where are the people that are courageous that's, that, you know, the emperor has no clothes to say, this is a crazy idea. Seriously, what, why are we allowing this to happen? This is crazy. When I speak, and I, I often speak with you at public events, uh, I point this out. I point out often where the emperor has no clothes. And I often am met with a, a kind of a whiplash effect uh, as people kind of recoil instinctively from what I'm saying. But then they, they, they lean forward. They lean into uh, what they're hearing. And they often uh, stare with rapt attention uh, after my initial comments. And they'll often come up to me afterwards and say to me, you know, I've always thought this, but I just never dared say it. 
I didn't think that anyone else felt the same way. I don't think that the majority of regular people actually believe any of this. And I think that they speak about it in whispered tones and hushed voices in their kitchens and with their friends in the backyard where no one else can hear them because they're scared to death that they're going to be labeled as a anti-woman, anti-child, anti-gay, anti-minority, anti-fill-in-the-blank person, and they're going to lose their social circle. They're going to lose their perhaps their job. They're going to lose their friends. And I think this intimidation, it's a social intimidation, and it's driven largely by, uh, by social media, by commercials, but it's also by academics, bureaucrats, and politicians, is intimidating people into actually speaking the truth. To, to speak the truth today is, is in itself an act of courage. I would even go so far to say that the current greatest evils that we're suffering from in this country are driven and fueled primarily by fear. Uh, and a lot of that fear is, uh, is intimidation, it's coercion, it's, it's social pressure to conform with what people believe everyone else is, uh, is saying and doing, which, which really couldn't be further than the truth. Yeah, no question. And, and how has this affected your practice? Are you seeing these kind of patients come in and, uh, and, and complain about what's going on? I mean, it's it just to, to watch and not speak out, to see what's going on and to, uh, and, and to observe it, but, but not do anything about it. It just, it, I would think it would create psychological angst and tension that I don't know how you relieve. You know, you relieve it by going home and drinking a lot or kicking your dog, or I don't, I don't know what you do, because if you're not expressing how you feel, and it's affecting your life, and it's affecting your work, and the organizations that you participate in, uh, you, you can go crazy. Well, disempowerment is a, a national pandemic of infection. The ability to speak and act in concert with your values to live a life of integrity is one of the most fulfilling things that a person can have and when that person when people when society in general take that away from themselves voluntarily or have it stripped them stripped from them by uh, government bureaucrats and politicians um, that destroys their psychological well-being it renders them um, completely impotent to face life. Uh, that creates stress. It creates poor eating habits, exercise, uh, irritability, depression, anxiety, uh, drugs, uh, drinking, as you mentioned. Uh, it, it creates a kind of a vicious circle where people just start to go down, down, down. And they often uh, really find a hard time getting out of it. I think that the, the most um, powerful treatment or cure for that is to provide perspective and, uh, and truth so that people can become at first angry and with anger they can overcome their fear and they can take action. I often tell patients uh, who are very uh, fearful of being angry and displaying aggression that anger is a really important emotion. Anger is what tells us that somebody stepped on us, somebody crossed the line and it encourages action. Uh, and I've said for over a year that it's really inaction which has been uh, one of the biggest flaws in our response to all of this fear-mongering. If we were to take more action, if we were to march in the streets like they did in France, burning vaccine passport cards like they did in Spain, uh, then perhaps we could actually develop a movement towards more truth and freedom. We're not doing that. So I have encouraged people to get angry. And some of the things that I've done just recently, uh, I was, in fact, just in the last 24 hours, I was telling patients about the uh, massive uh, insulting display of utter hypocrisy at the Obama birthday party, right. which happened over the past weekend. That's right. Where Obama scaled down his party from 600 to, oh, God forbid, 400 guests mm. uh, with all of these uh, woke celebrities like Oprah Winfrey and Erica Badu, uh, actors, singers, musicians, John Legend. And all of these people showed up to the party without masks, without vaccine cards, no social distancing, just, just whooping it up. And it was described as this uh, party to end all parties. Uh, one of the uh, publicists described this as, dance the masks away. Now, this was all censored and eliminated from social media after the fact when all of the phones were wiped, all of the images and videos were purged 
because it looked absolutely horrible. And I heard somebody recently say, I think it was actually Candace Owens, who said, these people, these people that say that uh, hydroxychloroquine is completely ineffective in treating this virus are the same people that describe themselves as so sophisticated that they don't need to follow the rules, they don't need to follow the mandates. So a dose of sophistication is a lot more powerful than a dose of hydroxychloroquine. And I think this, uh, this arrogance, this contempt, this scorn that the so-called sophisticate elite are displaying in their utter disrespect and avoidance of following the rules that they impose on others should make us all very, very angry absolutely furious and it should it should really drive people to a call to action it really should and it it should at least drive people to stop following the rules uh, because the people that are making the rules aren't following the rules themselves it's just absolutely uh, ludicrous you know it's it's interesting I was uh, I, I was uh, interviewed on um, uh, Dell Bigtree's uh, show uh, this morning the high wire and what he wanted to talk about w was the uh, the fear the media is drumming up for parents to be fearful of their children getting ill from COVID. And he displayed a couple headlines. Um, uh, parents fear COVID. Uh, uh, COVID cases on the rise. Uh, super spreader schools and so forth. And when you look at the data, the actual data about the risk to children, uh, the CDC's data shows something like only 350 deaths in children. We've talked about this. And every death, of course, is a tragedy, but almost every single one of those deaths are kids that have significant underlying illness. And if, if you want to make the headline correct, it should be um, the risk of automobile accidents and deaths in children is skyrocketing. Um, caution, uh, swimming pools kill children. Uh, caution, influenza is deadly to children. They never put things in perspective. And I can't help but think that part of this fear, uh, the part of the, the media inducing this fear is for some other motive. They can't actually believe what they're saying. I mean, it's obvious when you see Obama's party and all these people flooding, these Hollywood people that are, that are always in the media, uh, bad-mouthing anybody that has a contrary thing to say. They clearly don't believe what they're saying. And I can't imagine the media elite actually believe what they're saying. What, why are they saying it? I don't get it. Why are they doing this if they know it's not true? They're doing it because they're able to exercise complete and utter control over their underlings. And they're able to aggregate their power. They're able to increase their financial position. And I think to some degree, they really enjoy this. There's, a, there's an element of arrogance and sadism involved like, in this. It's almost like an addiction to pornography. They're addicted to this ability to be in control of your life. And when they see people scared, it makes them feel in control. I really think that there's a sickness here. There's a psychological sickness to it that goes, particularly for the celebrities, that goes beyond uh, just... Uh, financial remuneration like it is for, say, the vaccine manufacturers or uh, elections like it is for politicians or a sense of, of, of empowerment for a lowly bureaucrat that's never been known before and now can go on press conferences three times a day and tell people what to put on their face and how much space they should keep between themselves and another walking through a public park. I think the celebrities actually, uh, because they're so narcissistic, I think it gives them a thrill to be able to tell people what to do and to laugh at people, laugh at the lowly, uh, regular people that have to follow all these stupid dictates. Yeah, and you know, may, maybe part of it is these media personalities are being told to say that, and they're being reinforced when they when they build up the fear. Fear the producers and the owners of these stations and the uh, and the sponsors. Um, are, are pushing them to say these kind of things. We know pharmaceutical companies are huge advertisers in many of these media markets. Um, if you look at the medical journals and, and you flip through page after page, about every fifth page is an advertisement from another drug company. And so it's, it's just so incestual with these uh, organizations that are, that are coming together to manipulate the media for their own gain. Uh, we need a vaccination against fear. That's what we need. Well, one of the biggest vaccinations against fear, as I said before, is anger. It's getting angry. 
and it's uh, pointing out the obvious, uh, which, as you said earlier, is that the emperor has no clothes, and the emperor uh, is the, to a large degree, is the celebrity contingents, the people with power and money and fame, and they are naked, and they need to be exposed, they need to be called out, and the rest of us, the regular people, need to start standing up and saying, no, we will not comply. I will no longer wear a mask when I'm told. I will no longer uh, agree to uh, lie about my vaccine status. Uh, I will say, no, I'm not taking a vaccine, or you have no right to even ask me if I have a vaccine, and just move forward. I had a, I had a nurse at Hogue, uh, actually came in my office today. She just she needed a, a friendly person to talk to. She felt so isolated. Uh, she's a labor and delivery nurse, and she's being pushed to get vaccinated, and she wanted some advice as to what to do. The question about whether you're vaccinated or not is an illegitimate question. And I said it would be, how would you feel if your boss came up to you and said, when was your last pap smear? And I need to know right now. You'd be horrified. When's the last time you had a mammogram? I need that information. And you need to give me that information right now. You'd be horrified. You'd go, what are you talking about? You don't have a right to ask me that. And if you do it again, I'm going to report you to the police. You're harassing me. But your vaccination status uh, for, for COVID, a vaccination that we've established now is maybe at best 40% effective, somehow it's okay uh, for them to do that. I mean, remember back in the, the AIDS days, you know, your HIV status was taboo. You couldn't ask somebody that. Um, but yet here we are asking people about their vaccine status, and not only that, mandating that they must get, take it uh, in order to remain employed. I mean, what, what the heck is going on here? It's unbelievable. Can you imagine an, an AIDS patient being turned away uh, because he was at risk of spreading infectious disease in a hospital, and the doctor said, sorry, we can't treat you. You're not allowed to come in. Or let's say an AIDS patient uh, who's going to visit somebody in the hospital uh, who's seriously ill or dying and being turned away uh, because uh, he was required to divulge his uh, infectious disease status and then was uh, sent away. In fact, what we did was just the opposite. Uh, we protected the doctors and nurses and healthcare providers with gloves, with masks. That was the reason why we started using masks for dentists, because dentists are in people's mouths. There's blood, there's saliva, high viral load, bodily fluids splashing around. Dentists started using masks and gloves to protect themselves from bodily fluid transmissions of high concentrations of HIV. That's right. why it started. I remember that. Yep. We didn't tell the patients to stay home. We told the healthcare providers to protect themselves with rational measures against the spread of infection. We didn't demonize the patients. And here we are demonizing people who aren't even sick. These are people who are healthy, who don't have symptoms, half of whom, according to recent studies and statistics, are probably already immune to the whole infection to begin with. Yep, that's and right. that doesn't even begin to point out the reality that we're seeing, which was even admitted by the uh, failed CDC director, Walensky, just last week, that those who have been vaccinated are still at risk of spreading disease. That's right. This is utterly insane. So here we are banning people from hospital settings who are probably immune, who don't catch or spread disease, but we're ushering in people who've been vaccinated who are at higher likelihood of spreading illness, symptomatic <laughs> or otherwise. This so, is bonkers. So, so actually, if if we actually wanted to do it correct, there there would there might even be an argument to say if you're vaccinated, you should stay away because you could actually have the illness and spread it and not even know it because of the way this vaccine works. Correct. Yeah, I mean the studies are showing that, right? So. What is it, 60, 70% of hospitalized patients in Israel are those that have already been vaccinated. I can't tell you how many calls I'm, I'm getting now, patients that decided to get vaccinated that are now ill and I'm having to treat them. Um, it's just crazy. I, I, haven't seen, um, I haven't seen any patients that have recovered from COVID that have got COVID an additional time. I hear reports of it. I haven't seen anything like that. If you've recovered from COVID, you're pretty much good to go and uh, and I don't I don't think that uh, it's a thing or or a very frequent thing that you're going to get COVID again. Most of those people that said that they got sick multiple times didn't have symptoms and just got a positive PCR test, or they did have symptoms, had a positive PTR, PCR test, but the symptoms 
were consistent with other illnesses like influenza. And as we know from, once again, the CDC director's admission just recently, after a year of us knowing this from the very beginning, none of these tests distinguish between uh, any of these uh, Chinese viruses or their variants and just seasonal flu. They're all positive. That's so right. there's That's no way to discern. And we saw, we saw basically no flu in this last season, and it's, it's pretty clear that that's because the tests that we're doing can't differentiate. So many of these patients that were deemed having COVID likely had influenza, not COVID. And so what are we doing now locally in the uh, Los Angeles County? There is a action just taken yesterday, actually, by the County Board of Supervisors that voted 18 to 0 to instruct the LA County attorney to draft mandates that will ban all unvaccinated people from public spaces. Now, public spaces includes not just government buildings, libraries, stadiums, concert halls. It includes things like coffee shops, restaurants, gyms, even your local grocery store. So if you don't get a vaccine, you have nothing to show, you will have to be not just banned from the stores, but unable to actually purchase baby formula, milk, water, fruit, vegetables, meat. Where there will be go? guards at the doors checking for vaccine the, cards. The, those Los Angeles people are going to have to move to Orange County, I think. <laughs> well, that's the call to action and the, and the solution to the problem in L.A. is to, to drive across the border, the L.A. County and Los Angeles border, just like you're going into Mexico to get those generic <laughs> drugs. You're going to be driving down to, to Orange County to buy your eggs. Uh-oh. This is, watch this out. is utter, utter insanity. It might even start to drive up prices down there. You could, you could make a killing. You could transport illegal eggs across the, across the county lines <laughs> and sell them for an upcharge like they do with Lucy's in New York and the cigarettes. Exactly. Forget about cigarettes or, or, or uh, transporting guns across state lines. We'd, we'd just bring a six-pack of beer and some eggs, you know. Hey, you got some eggs you can sell me? I'll, I'll, I'll pay you 10 bucks for your eggs. <laughs> Exactly. So, how do they how do they police that? By the way, what are they going to do? They're going to have they're going to specifically designate uh, LAPD officers to be vaccine monitors. They'll they'll walk around and and they'll tap you on the shoulder and they'll say, "Excuse me, sir, but can I see your vaccine passport?" We all saw that video. It came out in I France. I think it was right? in France where people Paris. were walking around literally, and the guy had a the police officer police woman had a scanner device. You'd have to show them on your phone, and they'd scan it to see if it was valid. I would not be surprised if they instructed the LAPD to do this. I mean, the public health department has been intimidating businesses for the last year and a half by making random inspections. They started it up again a few months ago, asking for business owners to attest to the uh, presence of vaccine cards or vaccination status proof. Uh, of their employees, even though they weren't allowed to see them and the employees weren't really required to show them, they had to, to issue an attestation. So theoretically, they could be fined if they were out of compliance. I think the same thing is going to happen here. We're going to have compliance officers wandering around asking the business owners whether they had a guard positioned at the door, whether he's checking for cards. Then they're going to go around wandering through the stores, randomly checking people to see if they have vaccine cards, sort of like going into a bar. How about the homeless encampments? Or, the, or do homeless people have to have vaccinated? They're exempt, uh, interestingly, from this mandate. Oh. Uh, they're, allow they're allowed to, to live and roam freely without vaccine cards and are actually provided uh, with their own bathrooms, food, uh, money, uh, coupons, uh, support, and in actually even police protection. It's, it's very interesting how certain populations seem to be um, uh, out of the purview of the uh, local public health departments, despite uh, the presence recently here in downtown Los Angeles of bubonic plague uh, spread from rats living among homeless people. But that, that, was, that pandemic was not actually a problem, even though it entered the LA City Hall and spread to several employees. Uh, but unvaccinated Los Angelinos uh, buying baby formula and eggs for Sunday brunch are now a public health threat. So what you got to do is you go to got to go to a homeless encampment, give the homeless guy 20 bucks to go shopping for you. <laughs> you could probably give uh, give him or the illegal alien uh, warming his his hands right beside him the same amount of money. I think they're both protected. Equally. So, you, you know, those guys that, that sit on the corner with the signs, you know, Vietnam vet homeless, please help. Maybe those guys instead will be selling you your your eggs and coffee. We don't really need uh, Uber Eats or DoorDash anymore. We can have uh, 
uh, homeless eats and illegal dash and we can give them cash and uh, tell them that they'll give them 50% now and then 50% on delivery of our groceries. Yeah, so so now the signs instead of we'll work for food, it will be we'll shop for you for food. Well, I think we just found a, uh, a new way to decrease the unemployment rate. Wow, I know. I, I, think, I think there's a new business to open, homeless shoppers. We have come up with uh, single-handedly a solution to the crisis. <laughs> exactly. It's it's unbel- it's really unbelievable, huh? I mean, we're we're laughing about this because it's so utterly absurd. Uh, but when you you think about it uh, in a sober mindset, it's it's truly terrifying. Uh, if this sort of uh, clampdown spreads uh, to the rest of the state and to other states, uh, we will literally enter into a totalitarian state where every aspect of our lives, uh, including how and where we spend our money, our physical movements. Uh, where we can go to uh, to get healthcare. Yeah, uh, healthcare centers here in Los Angeles have recently uh, published notices, including private practice doctors, that they will not allow, accept, or treat patients who do not show vaccine cards. So we're, we're even now denying healthcare to American citizens based on their vaccine status, while we're guaranteeing healthcare to sick and infected illegal aliens that cross the border. If you're what kind pri- of a world if are we living in? If you're a prisoner, do you have to be vaccinated? I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I know that uh, if you're a prisoner uh, and you have a penis and you want to go to a women's prison, you're guaranteed that right uh-huh. uh, because they're handing out condoms now to the women's prison uh, in anticipation of the uh, massive epidemic of impregnations by um, male, female prisoners. Um, but I don't think that they actually uh, are required to be vaccinated. In fact, wow. I think that the prisoners are being released uh, because they aren't vaccinated. Oh, well, there you go. That could be another solution, especially if you're a guy. You get into prison. You don't have to be vaccinated. You request to be transferred to the female prison. You get three three squares a day. You get a cot, free health care, and you get to you get to hang out in the women's prison. My understanding is there's 300 prisoners in queue as we speak in the California state prison system who've just decided that they're actually women. And uh, 70 of them have already been transferred into prisons, and one of them has already impregnated his, uh, his roomie. Perfect. So uh, I, I don't see any reason why you can't. I yeah. mean, if, you, if you're denied that, I'm sure that there's a civil rights action you could take. You can't be denied, obviously. Uh, you can actually be denied your rights uh, to go shopping if you don't have a vaccine card. But uh, if you're a guy and you want to sleep with uh, a female prisoner, um, it's not only your right, but you actually are protected from uh, from being removed. You know, these draconian rules are also affecting our military as well. And uh, I understand, you know, it's funny, I read, a, it should have been a Babylon B, but it was something like, it was a meme that said, suddenly the military is finding religion. As, uh, as something like 30% of soldiers are submitting uh, religious exemptions to not get vaccinated. It's, it's unbelievable. The, the pressure that they put and the solutions that are created, um, you know, if, if there actually were comedy shows again, if there was actually real late night comedy, they would have so much material, it'd be unbelievable. To, of course, you can't make fun of any of this um, or you're considered a racist or xenophobic or needle phobic or covid phobic or, or whatever it is but there is a ray of hope coming from a very unexpected place up in san francisco um you you forwarded this article to me about the san francisco uh sheriff's association uh refusing these mandates and i think it's i think it's pretty interesting out of san francisco of all places uh, where these sheriffs, the, the headline is 160 out of 700 San Francisco sheriffs to resign if the mandate passes. Uh, I mean, crime is already crazy up there. And can you imagine if suddenly all those people resigned? But I'll tell you, that, that is the way to push back. If a group of doctors, nurses, uh, pharmacists, uh, healthcare workers within a hospital system uh, suddenly said, if these mandates are in place, we're not coming to work tomorrow, they would have to change the rules. They couldn't survive if half the staff suddenly didn't show up. And 
you name the organization, whether it's a police force or sheriff's department or pilots, for example, that didn't go to work because they're being forced to be vaccinated, uh, flight attendants. I, I have a friend who's a flight attendant, and they are uh, very, very worried about whether their union will support them. But if all of a sudden half the flight attendants on Name Your Airlines said that they weren't going to show up, that airlines would grind to a halt, and I guarantee that rule would change. Not unlike what's going on in schools. If enough moms said, we're not sending our kids to school, if you mandate masks, I guarantee you those rules would change. This is the call to action that we started with, and it needs to happen in our core industries, the industries that we cannot live without. First responders, school teachers, pilots. We spoke at a uh, local church over the weekend here in Los Angeles in a, a small town called Thousand Oaks in the Valley in Southern California. And since we spoke, one of the attendees of that talk who worked for the local fire department who stood up and said, what do I do? I don't want to get a vaccine. And he was told, form a group. Form a group and organize a walkout. Well, you know what? He did just that. He opened up a telegram group and he, in 72 hours, got 1,000 first responders to join his group, 1,000, all of whom say, we do not want to take this vaccine. We do not mm -hmm. want to be forced, of course, to take it, risk of losing our jobs. If he organized a simultaneous walkout of 1,000 firemen, ambulance drivers, police, fire, all of those people at the same time, that would create such a stir that it would force change. It would be required. We could not avoid it anymore. And it would start to raise this very important question, which is if the people that are on the front lines, the teachers, firemen, the pilots, the people that are working with the public every day trying to keep us safe, if they, of all people who should be scared to death and dying, jumping over their grandmother to get this life-saving injection, if they don't want to take it, they must know something that we don't. That's right. That's and right. What is that? What is it yeah. that they know? Maybe we need to look into this a little further. Maybe we need to start questioning. Maybe we need to start pushing back. I would love to see that spread throughout all of the other professions, the restaurants, the stores, the taxi drivers, the Uber Eats people, everybody, every single person, everyone is a necessary employee. There are no extra people. Everybody is important. Everybody is needed. And if you're listening and, and you're one of those people, here, here's what I would suggest. Find one or two like-minded people, invite them over to your house, go have coffee. And between that group of two or three people, you're going to know additional people and start to form those coalition and groups. And when you get large enough, 10, 15, 20 people, now you're a group that needs to be reckoned with. You're no longer isolated and you're no longer just one person up against Goliath. Um, and it doesn't take that many. It doesn't take a majority. It takes just a chunk of people that are in an industry that are saying no. And I can guarantee you, if you're one of those people that are saying no, there are plenty of other people that share your values and share your concerns. What they're looking for, they're looking for a leader. They're looking for somebody with the courage, that first person to stand up and say, I will not submit. And you invite them into your group and now you'll have a core group of people. That's what I would recommend. Um, you can reach out to us, of course, and uh, we'll direct you to like-minded people that we know. You can go to our website, informeddissentmedia.com, and uh, we'd love to help you uh, to be a voice of reason and to give you the courage to organize uh, your group of friends uh, to stand up against tyranny. When you take action, you empower yourself, you strengthen yourself, you start to act with integrity and you do good. And that, that is contagious. That is far more contagious than this virus that we say we're fighting. So the vaccine against this problem is not an injection in your arm against COVID-19. The vaccine is an injection of courage to live in your values, to live your principles. And it feels so good. And yes, there will be risk and there's no guaranteed outcome. But when your children watch what you're doing, when you're an example to others of standing and living your life with courage, uh, you know you'll be in the right place and ultimately you'll be doing the right thing.
conscientious objection. That will strike not fear, but inspiration into the hearts and minds of the people around you. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.